0: with the missionaries that we had here. And again, man, I'm just praying for a lot of these kids as to what God's going to do because he's raising up, believe it or not, back here, he's raising up pastors, he's raising up worship leaders, he's raising up uh, missionaries. And uh, again, he's, he, he's raising up young kids that are ready to do the work of the ministry. And as these kids get a little older, man, the world come, comes after them. And so pray for for our kids back there because God wants to do a mighty and awesome work in them. And so last week, um, again, we were gone over to New Mexico teaching at a, at a school, the 10th Hour Project, and it was just an, an incredible time. And uh, I, I had asked David Boberg to stand in and to start the book of uh, 1 John. And so whenever I'm not here on a Thursday, Whoever's going to be teaching, it's a lot easier if they know where to go. <laughs> and so I said, hey, let's just start doing First John. Um, not that I want to be away a lot, but if I am, they know where they can pick up. And I listened to it as we're driving back online, and that was just phenomenal. So if you didn't get to listen to last week's study, I encourage you to get, get online and listen to it. It was phenomenal. So I'm assuming now you have gotten to the book of of Zechariah chapter 6. It's interesting because tonight we get into covering the last of the eight visions that this young prophet had all in one night. It it happened to be on February 15th, 519 B.C. is when the Lord all of a sudden, because this kid has... (laughs) And I call him a kid. I don't know how, how old he was, but I just think that Zachariah was a young man. And he comes on the scene, and it's on that night, February 15th, the Lord sends an angel to come and minister to him and show this young prophet some visions. And it's not just one vision, it's eight visions all in one night. Now we have been covering them chapter after chapter, and they're not long visions. So, I don't know how exactly all this is taking place, but it's enough time for him to be looking and capturing. I don't know if he's writing it down or he just has a great memory uh, because he's that young. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that, that the Lord shows him these incredible visions, and, and he would take him throughout that night, throughout the, the, the history of Israel, past, present, and future. Now, some of these visions not only had the meaning, had the meaning and, and direction for the present because of where they were at as a nation, just coming back from the nation of Babylon, being in captivity for seventy years. They are now back. They're, they've been instructed to build the temple, and so a lot of what he is showing him is is the fact that he brought them back, and there was work to be done, and so he shows them what what it means for the present but he also alluded to the future in some of those same visions so so he was talking to them about the here and now but there was another an, another twist to it that even in that same vision he's saying but in the future it's going to be like this things are going to still happen and so as, as far as 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 The day of the Lord, he was showing them that far in advance. We haven't gotten to the day of the Lord. We haven't gotten to the second coming of Christ. His first coming was 2,000 years ago, and yet his second coming is still coming. And yet he shows this young prophet 400 and some years, almost 500 years earlier before the first coming, that there would be a second coming. And so again, this guy is trying to capture all this stuff. Now, it does seem that all of these visions did go in chronological order as far as going from the outside of Jerusalem, dealing with the nations that were making it hard for the children of Israel, and then bringing them into or closer to Jerusalem, but reminding them right before that that there was going to be two major powers that he was going to deal with. More than likely... Being, being Babylon and, and Egypt but he was going to deal with them um, or, or the not, not the, the Egyptians but the Medo-Persian type those, those powers, there was two powers that he was going to deal with and then he moves them into Jerusalem and in that city, in that one vision, there was a guy with a measuring tape, and he's measuring out how big this is, how how wide and, and stuff the city, because there would be an expansion, there would be a growth, and then there would be rejoicing once again. And then the scene kind of moves into not only Jerusalem, but into the temple. And in that in that vision, it seems like the priesthood is now set up where he speaks about Joshua. And what he would be doing with him as he brings him in. And setting up the priesthood once again. Along with the political aspect of this whole thing. Which would be Zerubbabel. And so Joshua and Zerubbabel were two major players in the day of Zechariah. And he pictures both of these in one one of the visions as these two olive trees. That would be important to the nation of Israel in that time. And yet, he, he kind of takes that and also takes it into the future about the two olive trees. And, and, and maybe perhaps that these are the, the two witnesses that would come in the time of the tribulation time. And so again, you have the here and now, but you have the future. And after those, those uh, visions, we got to see uh, our last time how he gets into some judgments judgment on the nation of israel not so much the 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 gentile nations but how he would start judging his own people after they've come back and taken care of because these people who came from babylon they actually brought some of their sins with them some of the things that they were accustomed to in babylon he they bring down and they're starting to introduce these things in and around Jerusalem and we saw that in that vision he would deal with the nation of Israel and basically drive out that sin basically sending it back to Babylon and so that brings us to the 8th and final vision of that night and so Zechariah chapter 6 we'll cover the first 8 verses and then we'll jump into the, the rest a little later it says in verse 1 then i came and raised my then i turned and raised my eyes and looked and behold four chariots were coming from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze with the first chariot were red horses with the second chariot black horses with the third chariot white horses And with the fourth chariot, dappled horses, strong steeds. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going after them and the dappled are going towards the south country then this the strong steeds went out eager to go that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth and he said go and walk to and fro throughout the earth so they walked to and fro throughout the earth then he called to me and spoke to me saying see those who go uh, to and f- towards the north country have given my spirit, or have given rest to my spirit, in the north country. And so, as we go back right here and begin this chapter, where he says that he turned, he raised his eyes, and he looked. Once again, I have to believe that this young man, this young prophet, is is caught contemplating all that he has been capturing if you will again it's been one night it's been i I don't know how long we know that at one point in one of the 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 places he had kind of taken a nap in between and he was awakened once again and so i don't know how long these things are going but it's it's all happening in one night but it seems that right here where it says that he turned, that he raised his eyes and he looked, I have to believe that, man, this guy is just trying to take it all in. Everything that he has seen, everything that he's experiencing, everything that's going on around him, it, it, you know, he just saw a flying scroll right before this one. I know for us it was a couple of weeks ago, but he had just finished seeing this crazy big flying scroll that was about as big as this area right here. He's trying to capture all that, and he sees the law kind of coming in with judgment to swiftly take care of the sin. And then on top of that, he sees this woman in a basket. She's inside the basket. And, 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 and these two women come. They're like a stork figure because they're flying, and they pick up the basket, and they're taking this basket back to Babylon, which represented the sin of all these people. And so again you can imagine this young guy seeing all this thing just kind of looking down contemplating. I mean, I know some people look up contemplating, but it seems like this guy's looking down contemplating. I don't know which way you do it. But he kind of like look down contemplate. And be, because again, he's he's here and he says he turns because he hears something or something something grabs his attention. And so he 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 kind of turns He raises his eyes, it says, and he looks. You can imagine this young prophet trying to make sense of everything that's going on around him. And again, I can can just picture him just trying to take this all in. The word turned carries the idea of returning to a starting point. So, so I don't know exactly what that means. as bef- Before this one started, wherever he was at, it, it just brought him back to capturing all this. And so it brings him to this starting point. So whatever caught his attention had, had brought him back from where he was at, where he had left up, perhaps. The fact that he raises his eyes or lifts his eyes means that he was looking down. And I know that, again, kind of seems obvious, but the fact of the matter is this guy is, is in a place of trying to capture all that God is trying to give him. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place where God is just, just showing you things. God is speaking to you through his word or through a message or through whatever it might be in your life. And you're, you're just like in, a, in this pensive thought, You know that that man, oh man, you're you're just lost there. And so when he is at that point, he 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 turns. He he looks up. And the word "look" means to 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 see, to look at, but it also intimates intimates and and or suggests to inspect, to perceive, to consider. So as he now turns, looks up. And he looks, he's looking intently. But Whatever it was caught his attention. And in this case, he says, behold, four chariots. Four chariots, why not? Everything, out, I mean, he's just been seeing some crazy visions. Four chariots, where'd they come from, you know? already been a crazy night all that was missing was some chariots hey there they are behold four chariots and they're coming it's not like they were stationed stationed somewhere already they were coming wherever he was at however it's happening but he starts seeing and and he, and he now is intently looking at what is coming at him He's perceiving these things. The the images in this vision are kind of similar to the first vision that we saw back in chapter one. In, In that in the first vision, again, there the details are a little different, but but the emphasis here is on horses and chariots, whereas in the in the first vision there was riders. There was horses, but, but the emphasis was more on the riders and what they were out to do. They were, they were out to, to, to go do some reconnaissance, if you will, in, in the land. But not in the land of Israel, basically, but outside to the Gentile nations. And so so there's a similarity because of the horses, I guess, but there's, there's no riders on these chariots. So there is a difference... These, these, these chariots, they have some horses, and these horses are not running wild. They're all harnessed together. It doesn't tell us how many horses, whether it's two or four or six. I don't know how many kind of chariot you want. <laughs> but these four chariots with their horses represent, it says in verse 5, this, the four spirits of heaven or from God. That is four angels. That's what they represent. In Hebrews chapter 1, where it talks a lot about angels, it it, it says that they are ministering spirits. So there are spirits. They're they're angelic beings. They're, They're heavenly beings, if you want, if you want to describe them like that. And these angels, they they are assigned different parts. Of the world, it seems like. Because these are going to different directions. Different directions that are assigned to those places. And and I would say that that angels, they're always there at God's bidding. Some of them, again, like we we, we know of some angels that, that, that come and give messages to like Mary or Joseph. They have something to say to, but, but there's other angels because we see in the book of Revelation and throughout the Old Testament even, that there's angels that do certain things. There's fighting angels, there's commanding angels, there's all kinds of different angels. There's all kinds of beings out there. And, and, and it's interesting because as Christians, we see the physical, but we also should have an understanding of the spiritual. And, and in the spiritual, there's always stuff going on that we don't always see. But God has, has spirits, has ministering angels that are out and about always doing his work. Now, I'm not the type of guy that's always looking for angels. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the type of guy that's always hunting down Satan either, you know. I know he's there. I know that they exist. I know that they're doing their thing. But I got other things to think about, man, like Jesus. I'd rather think of Jesus. And, and, and no matter what Satan wants to do or what the angels want to do, he's in command of those things, not me. And, and so, again, what we un- need to understand is that there's some spirits here that are being summons that are bre- that are coming, and, and they're coming with some chariots, and it almost suggests some kind of a battle, <laughs> They're not just galloping on their little horses, having a a nice horse ride somewhere. They're coming, they have chariots. And it implies some kind of judgment. As I was looking at chariots and stuff, these two verses popped out as I'm looking them up. In in Psalm 68, 17, it says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. Thousands the lord is among them in the in the sinai in the holy place isaiah 66:15 it says behold the lord will come with fire and with chariots like a whirlwind to render or bring down his his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire now we don't see any kind of fire here but we do see chariots, and we do see his, his spirits, these four spirits, that, that are being commanded to come, and, 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 and they're going to be departing to different areas. The, these chariots, or their place, their departure place, where they're gathered together, is, it identifies them as, as two mountains, which are made of bronze. And, and bronze is a, an, an alloy of, of of copper and tin. And and it kind of took the place of the ancient, uh, uh, it says, counterpart of, of the bronze. Because I, I often get those things mixed up, bronze and, 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 and brass. And brass is made out of copper and zinc, and bronze is copper and tin. And so, again, here we have these... This this bronze and these mountains, and since our text identifies two mountains, some see them as uh, representing the two well-known mountains in and around Jerusalem, which would be Mounts, if you will, Zion, Mount Zion, and Olivet or the Mount of Olives. And so that's what they're suggesting that when he's talking about these two mountains, that they are gathered together just outside Jerusalem where, where again, the, the, the temple mount is up here, which is Mount Zion, and over here the, the, the uh, Mount of Olives. And so neither one of these two mountains are made out of bronze in any way, nor do they look like they're made out of bronze but this is a symbolic thing that he's talking about because in scripture bronze always symbolizes judgment and it's starting right there in that in between these two mountains it, it speaks of, of righteous divine judgment against sin and so this is what's taking place in this portion here in this last uh, this last vision it's interesting because the altar of sacrifice in the temple and, and, and before that in the tabernacle was made out of wood that was covered with bronze. And this is where sin was dealt with. This is where sin was judged. This is where the sacrifices were burned. Uh, if you remember when, when Moses was in the wilderness and the serpents were coming and biting his people, God told them to, to put the, uh, a bronze snake on a pole. Again, it was going to deal with judgment. And it's interesting because in Revelation, John, the apostle, when when Jesus is coming to judge the churches, it says that his feet are compared to bronze or, or brass as refined in a furnace. And he's coming for judgment. It tells us here that again, uh, they they are coming that the with the chariots, they're coming with red horses, black horses, white horses, and dappled horses. Now I, I had to call Tanya, the one that works in the in the room back there, is like, what's a dappled horse? I don't know what that is looking it up and I'm seeing this. Is that what it is? One of the translations calls it a, a, a dappled gray horse. And so she shows me these pictures of these dappled horses. They're spots. <laughs> Everybody's shaking their hair. Maybe I'm the only one that didn't know that. I'm not a horse guy. Now, if these horses' colors are significant, then, then the book of Revelation, chapter 6, kind of gives this idea of what these colors could mean. Because in chapter 6, we see four different horse, horses as well. The red horses symbolize war. The black horses in Revelation, again, possibly here, but in Revelation, the black horses represent or symbolize famine. The white horses, death. And even though there are no dappled horses in the vision that, God, that John had in the book of Revelation, there is a pale horse there. And it's interesting because some of the pictures that I was looking at, these dappled horses, especially because it says in one of the translations that it's a gray dappled horse. I'm looking at, at these pictures, and some of the spots are lighter, so it's gray and lighter, so almost a white, so it does kind of look pale. So quite possibly, the dapple horse could be kind of representing the pale horse. And it's interesting because the pale horse represents plagues. And so we see that, that again, uh, you have war, you have, you have famine, you have death, and you have plagues. And, and God will use these four things, war, famine, plagues, and death, to punish the the nations of the earth and this is basically what this this vision is talking about that again going in chronological order that at the end he will use all these things before the great day of the lord and we see that throughout the book of revelation in the seven-year period of the tribulation and so in verse 4, it says, Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And he answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. And so so as this young prophet is is closely, carefully, intently contemplating what this vision is all about. As he's seeing all these things, he has to ask this angel, what's going on here? Who are they? And he responds to him that these are the four spirits of heaven. These are heavenly beings. Again, I don't know how the the whole thing is playing out, but he says these four chariots with the horses, they're, they're beings. Referring to angels. And again, it's interesting because they all have different roles that they play. But all of these angels, in regardless what role they are in, whatever they are called to do, they are always at the ready for God. They are always ready to go out to do what God has called them to do. They are always at His bidding. And I love, I love that about the angels, that they are just willing, ready, and able to go do what God has called them to go do. And again, sometimes when, when I think about that, I think, the why are we, as human beings, not that ready all the time whenever he calls us? You know, because angels, I, I, it's almost like people say, well, they ain't got a choice, man. That's just their job. But see, the angels, they don't understand what we get to understand about Grace. I, I think sometimes they trip they probably trip out on us that we don't jump and are not always at the ready of God, knowing what God did for us on our behalf, coming to, sending the son and dying for us that we would not always just be at His bidding, ready to do whatever you've called us to do, Lord. But these angels they're ready to go all the time. And I'm not here to say, man, they just put us to shame. Again, that's what they're there for. but what are we here for? <laughs> To fight with God? To argue with God? To complain to God? What what, what are we here for, actually, you know? When when we realize what God has done on our behalf, shouldn't we desire to be at the ready to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. Whatever you want from me, I will go do it, Lord. It says here at the end of verse 5, that they are at their stations before the Lord of all the earth. And this title, the Lord of all the earth or the whole earth, is a millennial description or designation that that, that describes the universal uh, rule of Messiah over the earth during the future kingdom because he is Lord of all the earth today but at that time he will rule and reign over all the earth and it refers to to something like this in Micah chapter 3 or chapter 4 verse 13 it says arise and thrash, o daughters or daughter of zion for i will make your horn iron and i will make your hooves bronze you shall break in pieces many people i will consecrate your gain to the lord and their substance to the lord of all or the whole earth and so again we see the fact that god is in control of all of this everything that's going on and then he says uh and and one uh, in verse six the one with the black horses is going to the north country and the white horse or the white are going after them and the dappled going down to the south country and so when Zechariah saw the horses that they were all gathered together that they were ready to go do what God had called them to go do they were ready to go to their appointed destination And God was the one that would order them to do what what he is telling them to go do. Again, showing us that judgment is coming and judgment is always in the hand of God. And he he reserves it for certain places and certain times. And in this instance, we see that that the black horse is designated to go to the north country which would speak of Babylon to go up there and take care of that whole area and that the white horse would be following after them and one of the translations it says that they would be headed towards the west but as, as you're looking at the map uh, Babylon would be towards the north and Assyria and Syria would be towards the west but not toward all the way west. More of the northwest. And so, again, they're headed northward to take care of that nation. Again, he's, he's now dealing here in the end times that he would take care of the, the northern nations. And then he says that the other one, the dappled horse, would be headed south, which would speak of Egypt and taking care of the, the situation down there. Uh, nothing is said about the red horse. So it's quite possible that the Lord was holding the red horse back maybe for another time. Not, not, not ready for, for, for whatever else he had in store for him, but at that time he holds them back. Just these three horses or their chariots go in different directions. Uh, the ministry of angels among the nations and, and the way they're dispensed... Uh, by God, again, we, we see throughout the, the scriptures that, again, God would use certain, uh, certain angels to go do certain things. When you read through the, through the book of Daniel and, again, when we read through the book of Revelation, when we're talking about the end times, he is going to use angels to do his bidding. He will always use angels to do his bidding as he has in the past. Uh, Zachariah's vision and ensures us that God or or, or ensures us that God is always in control of the future it's interesting because as as I'm looking at these visions we, we see that they were written so long ago and he's already talking about the future. But if we remember that, that if God is showing him these visions about the future, and that he's already in control of the future, and we've seen in history that God is always in control of what's happened throughout history, then, then why do we today <laughs> freak out if God can take care of us tomorrow? You know, because when we read, we see that, man, he is the God of the whole earth. He is the one that's totally in control from beginning to end. And so if he is willing and able to do these things back then, then today is he as faithful as he was back then? Because he's talking to this young prophet back then of things that haven't even happened. And this prophet is going to do something in just a little while that kind of proves, hey, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Even though I don't quite understand it, I don't see it, but it will represent what will happen in the future. And so, again, we see that God is in control of of the future, but he's always been in control. He will judge the Gentile nations at the end towards the, the, the day of the Lord, when, when all of this is about to come down. I, I think several years ago when we were going through the book of Revelation and we are seeing all the stuff that's going on during that seven-year period of just total chaos on the earth. And you're thinking, man, everything is just falling apart. And I kept on reiterating back then that, that God was always in control. He was, he's still in control. It just seems like the world is spinning out of control. And I think even today we look at stuff around us and we're going, this place is a mess. It's like, guys, God, God is in total control even today. Even if we don't quite capture how things are happening, because, again, when we look at the news or we look at the politics or we look at what's going on in other sides of the world, we're just going like, Lord, why is everything falling apart? And yet God has always been in control. And he will continue to be in control. And he never loses control. Now, I know that I preach that from here. <laughs> and yet, there's times that I'm freaking out myself. <laughs> Which I think is funny because sometimes, again, as preachers, as teachers, man, we're really good at telling you guys, hey, God's in control, man. No biggie. No begging, man. It's easy from this side of the pulpit, Right? <laughs> It's another thing when I'm on that side, when I'm going through it, and I'm going, Lord, I can't believe that this or that, you know, and you're going through it. But these are good reminders, even for me as I'm studying, guys, because I know that I have to preach it. Going, So are you going to trust me? It's like, okay. So, again, I'm not here just to preach to you guys. I kind of have to battle this myself as I'm preparing to come up here. But anyways, he it, it tells us um, in verse in verse eight, and he called to me, or he said in verse seven, and he right in the middle of verse seven, and he said, "Go to, uh, go walk to and fro throughout the earth." So they walked to and fro throughout the earth, and he called to me and spoke to me, saying, "See, those who go to and." fro, Uh, toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country what i wanted to capture here is that the word he here represents or is talking about the lord Um, again he's just introduced as he here in verse seven and eight Again, we, we don't always hear the Lord speak in these visions. He's speaking through the angel most of the time when he's asking questions. But we have heard him in these visions, but not a lot. And yet, he, he speaks about these chariots and what they were supposed to go do as he sends them out in verse 7. And then in verse 8, God himself turns his attention to this young prophet apart from the angel. He says that he spoke to me, saying, see... Those are those who go towards the north country have given my given rest to my spirit in the north country, and and it seems like here the Lord is reassuring him in this last vision. He's reassuring him that when when he had transferred or, or transplanted in the last vision wickedness from from. Jerusalem back to Jerusalem back to Babylon that he would that 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 the news was brought back to him and his spirit God's spirit was at rest or at peace not that God was freaking out but the fact that that the news that came to him to say there is rest in the north country he is assuring Zachariah it's all good I've I've already gone before you because at this time that had not happened but he's already telling him in the future, I will take care of the sin of Israel. I will deal with it. And so he's reassuring him that I am in control. And so I love the fact that as he's closing up this, this, this vision, he is ins- assuring him that he is taking care of the whole situation from beginning to end. Because again, when he started the vision, he was taking them back, sort of, from where they came and then he, he, he talked about basically the present about Joshua and, and Zerubbabel but in this one he is talking way in advance but he's saying I will take care of it from beginning to end you don't have to worry I, I am at peace with everything because the north country is taken care of you won't have to worry about them coming back you won't have to worry about them invading you ever again because I'm not going to let that happen. And, and again, it should, should assure us that, it, that whatever we're, we're going through, when we, when we pray, when we lay these things out at, at the Lord's feet, that he reassures us, my spirit is with you. I'm at peace. And if he's at peace, then we can rest in his peace. Because we are to have the peace of God in our lives. If we have peace with God, then we should rest in the peace that he gives us. And if he is at peace, then we could rest in all that we get to do. And so in verse 9, it says this. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives from Heldai, Heldai, uh, Tobijah, and who have come from Babylon, and go the same day and enter into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From this place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. For he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now the elaborate crown shall be a memorial in the temple of the Lord to Helam, Tobijah, uh, Jeddadiah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, what happens from here in verse nine to the end of the chapter? What is happening here um, is, is is now that that the visions are over. Um, from here on out, it, the the visions are done. Uh, the angel, uh, what what the Lord had shown shown Zechariah, those, those things are all done now. Now, there are some that believe that, that this is still part, from verse 9 on, that this is still part of the eighth vision, or that it is now a ninth vision, that he's showing them something different. But the difference here is that whatever he speaks to him to do here, he actually does something uh, about it. He goes and does what he is, what he is told to go do throughout the visions that that he has been shown in that night he didn't have to do anything he just saw it all unfolding before him but he was never commanded to go and do something uh, to anyone or to anything he was just to witness all that was going on in these visions and so now at this time that he is now, that now that the word of the Lord has come to him, he is now to go out and talk to Joshua. He's, he's actually to go to these three guys first and then to go over to Josiah's house where these guys would be and go take care of what he has done or what he is about to do. Now, to me, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking he must have shared with them and conveyed with them these eight visions that he saw at night to get to this point. So how it doesn't tell us how long it took for him to, to get to these guys or when these guys came. But all of a sudden, this is now unfolding. And, and we see that the eighth vision is now over the judgment uh, of of the uh, of the earth has come with these four chariots and everything is now at peace and and that now it's time for the kingdom the earthly kingdom to be set, um, but the Lord had this other message to give to this young prophet that he was to go and take care of something before all of this and so what we see here is that he is being told. That, that when these guys come in from the north country, when these guys come in from Babylon, that they will be uh, bringing a gift, silver and gold. And, and it doesn't tell us who these guys are, but these guys are, are bringing this gift, but this gift is made for the, te- uh, for the uh, temple. It was to be used in the temple. And so God kind of intervenes and begins to tell them, no, I have something else for you to go do. And I need you to go meet these guys at jo- uh, Josiah's house. And when you get there, I want you to take the silver and the gold. And I want you to make this crown. Not just a regular crown. And it wasn't going to be just this little wreath type of crown. This was going to be out of gold and silver. And, and, and it wasn't going to be just this, this thing that was going to be temporary. It was going to be symbolic. And it's interesting because what he's being told to do is something that that has never been done. And so you can imagine this young prophet, God speaking to him, saying, hey, I need you to go and take the, the silver and gold. And you can imagine the people that are bringing it going, this is for the temple. He's saying, yeah, but God has different plans. And they're going i don't know what god has told you but god has told us to bring these because this is for the temple and yet he intervenes and 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 he comes together and he says no the lord has called me to make this 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 crown and i could imagine that everybody's just kind of flipping out and kind of freaking out when he says but it's going to be for the priest now it might not sound like a big deal but it is a big deal because priests didn't wear crowns that was for kings and yet, he is making a, a crown for Josiah. Now, some would think, why wouldn't he make the crown and put it on Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is the, the governor. He is the one that's, that's in the political realm. Zerubbabel actually comes from the line of David. Why isn't he getting the crown? And I don't think that he's here disrespecting him in any way. God is telling him, this is going to be symbolic. I'm going to allow you to make this elaborate crown and you are to go to to Joshua and you are to tell him that the Lord is, is in this whole thing. Now, Joshua being a priest may have some hesitation here. Going, why are you putting this elaborate crown on me? It doesn't belong on me. But he has to share with him that this is for future tense. It says, behold the man whose name is the branch. And that word branch is talking about, uh, about the Messiah. It's talking about something that's still way ahead. And so he, he is telling them, I have to put this on you because this will be symbolic because this crown that should go on a king is going on a priest and there has never been a king-priest before. But Messiah will take that role. It's interesting because when we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is, is portrayed as the king throughout that whole Gospel. But Jesus, while he was on earth, never called himself a priest. And yet, Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest. But it was going to be only after his, his death and resurrection until he made it back to her, then he becomes our priest. He is now interceding for us as a priest. And so the picture that we're we're, we're seeing here is that they were going to bring the king and the priest together, and it would be under the Messiah. Because a king could never be a priest, and a priest could never be a king. The one time that a king wanted to be a priest... um, who was it? Uzziah, I think his name was. Um, was it Uzziah, Zer, Zariah? Uzziah, Uzziah. Back in Second Chronicles chapter 26, where he wanted to go and burn incense, and the priests were coming in trying to stop him, saying, you can't do this. And yet he, he disregards it, and he burns offerings, and leprosy falls upon him because a king is not supposed to do ki- uh, priestly duties. And yet what we're seeing here is a picture of the Messiah who will be both priest and king. So he will sit on the throne. And yet it it tells us here that in verse uh, 13, so he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. In other words, he would bring them together. And Messiah would be the only one that would ever be able to be a priest and a king at the same time. And again, this was looking way forward. And so he actually made the crown and he actually had Joshua take off his 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 turban and put a crown on him and 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 how, whether he sat on the throne or not but he did this which was symbolic now again everybody in israel is probably freaking out that's around they're going this is not right this is not what you're supposed to do and yet god had commanded him to go do this understand this is a young prophet he's barely on the scene and god is making them or allowing him to do something that's so out of the ordinary and he does it because i'm sure it didn't make sense to him either and yet this is where where we get the 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 saying in psalm 110 4 it says uh, the lord has sworn and will not relate you shall be or you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek and so again he's bringing these two things together because Melchizedek in the Old Testament was the prince or the king of Salem, but he was also a priest. Again, Jesus didn't come from the line of, of Aaron. He came from a, from Judah, who was not priestly. And yet now we have a priest that sits and, and in, the, in the heavens making intercessions for us. And so he is talking about what would happen later on. And in verse 14 it says, Now the elaborate crown shall be a memorial in the temple. And so he takes the crown off of them and he places it somewhere in the temple. Because again, this was all going to be symbolic. But he had to go through and do this, what God had called him to do. So to remind the people that God would one day come and 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 uh, would fulfill what he promised to King David, that there would always be someone from his line on the throne. But he is also a priest. And so it reminds us here at the end, in verse 15, it says, Even those from afar uh, shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then... You shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so he kind of closes up here in this chapter telling us of the faithfulness of God that as he has promised that there would be another temple built they are working on the temple They will get back to work on the temple, but this is not the temple that he's talking about. He's talking about a future temple that will be built later on. It's not even here today, but one day there will be a temple that will be built where God would dwell on his throne, where Jesus will come and dwell. And so as I finish here, what I'm reminded of here is God's faithfulness. It's interesting because we sang some of those songs as we're singing and I'm being reminded of, of the closing part that I had here, that God is faithful. If he is, if he is faithful to show this young prophet the history of the nation of Israel, that He would take them throughout this elaborate plan and and, and through and, and show them these pictures of what He would do. If God went through all the trouble to show us through his word of his faithfulness, past, present, and future. If he went through all the trouble to show and put this young man in a precarious situation where everybody would be tripping out going, we don't do stuff like that. But yet it showed that he was faithful, that one day Messiah would come and take care of israel once again guys my heart as i'm looking at this i'm going then why can't we just trust him guys if he is faithful to show us all these things that pertain to the nation of israel and his heart is still for the nation of israel how much more to the church is bright that he would be faithful to you and i and whatever you're in whatever you're going through god is faithful Again, I know it's easier for me to say when I'm not going through it. But whatever you might be going through today, God is faithful. He will always be faithful. He will never leave you, he will never forsake you. If he's made promises to Israel that one day he will bring them back in and he will set up this kingdom just like he said, that he will be faithful to you and I. He will come back he will come again for us as well. In Jesus' name, right? Amen. Father, we just thank you, we praise you for your faithfulness, Lord. God, as we look at what you did here in the nation of Israel with these people, Lord, Father, to to show them, Lord God, who you are, to show them, Lord God, your faithfulness. Lord, as you you shared these visions with this young prophet that he was able to share with his own people, as he showed them a a, a picture of Messiah coming and sitting on the throne. Lord, as faithful as you were to show them these things, Lord. Father, you are still faithful today. We want to trust you in that, Lord. We want to honor you. Lord, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are going through right now, but remind them, Lord, through your word, that as you promised that you would come, that you would take care of the nation of Israel, you would take care of us, your people. And so, Lord, we just are humbled by that. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, God, that right now, Lord, you would meet them right where they're at. That as we quiet our hearts right now, Lord, you will speak.